1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without autopay pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per
3: line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. T-Mobile.com.
1: 971 FM Talk
3: Podcast. So, it's Tuesday, right? All day long. That's just Tuesday? Yeah, is, that's what I hear. It is right. Okay. Hey, it's Mike Elam in for Mark Reardon. You're saying where's Mark? I don't know, but I found out last night that Mark wasn't going to be here today, so I get to be here today. I am super excited to be back. I get Yay. to be here on Friday. Uh, I had I have my regular job that I had to work yesterday, um, <laughs> so we're not we're not going to tell my boss that I'm here today, right? We're just we're just no. going to no. How's we're, he going to know? Yeah, I mean he's in Peoria, right? so you know life life yeah. is good. Abby's getting things all rolled up. Thanks to Abby and Fred for moving <laughs> things around. Uh, we have just got a full day today. We got all kinds of folks that are gonna be on now Mark is gonna be back tomorrow and tomorrow Mark has got a booked show. I mean really? not that my folks aren't aren't Class A. Because they are. Of course right? they are. But, I mean, check this out. He's got Ann Wagner on tomorrow. Ooh. He's got Congressman Jason Smith on tomorrow. Mm. He's got some other big heavy hitters that I don't want to give away right now. But let's just say there's some big guests that are going to be on tomorrow. Uh, the Roundtable, they've already got booked. Jane Duker, Donna Behringer. I don't know how I missed my invite, probably because I've I've done this show a while now. But Greg Keller is going to come in, and he's going to be on as well. So that's going to be great. Um, what else did I want to remind you about? Oh, so the SSM health Cardinal Glennon thing that's going on. So ninety-seven-one has teamed up with five other Odyssey St. Louis stations. And they are again, proud to partner with the generous community supporters to raise funds through the SSM health Cardinal Glennon tree of hope campaign. So I assume, I I assume, you know, all about this kind of thing, right? So I I pop in and pop out. I I learn while I'm here. So all this week, uh, if you listen to The Mark Reardon Show, which amazingly, you are. So well done. Great Mm -hmm. job. You're going to hear special interviews with local doctors, nurses, patients, and their families who have stories to share. About what's going on at SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital, we have one of those that we will share a little bit later on. Uh, Mark had a chance to do that interview before he got out and went on his trip, so uh, we will share with that. Um, have you guys had a good day so far? I mean, so you've already been here once today.
0: I, I well, I had a meeting at two thirty. Oh, so I, I got here uh, late for that meeting, but I still caught part of it.
3: So, it, at least you're all informed. You know what's I'm going informed, on. I'm informed,
0: but it was so nice out. I took a nice bike ride today. It was today great. was nice. It
3: really it, was. It really was. So, uh, today I got to go to the Cottleville Weldon Spring Chamber uh, year in luncheon. Love this luncheon. So, Aww. it was at uh, the Piazza Messina there in Cottleville, which is a great venue. The food was awesome amazing. What did you have? Oh, so they had a chicken spadini. Oh, that's they nice. also had a uh, small little filet that went along with mm. it. Green beans, mashed potatoes, oh. uh, an array of desserts. And their cheesecake was one of them. And as I said, how happy you, are you? You don't build a body like this by passing on <laughs> cheesecake. Can I just share with you? I, I mean, you did. Th- there is few things that make me happier than, than cheesecake. But get this. They had over 200 people who showed up today at wow. the Cattleville Weldon Spring Chamber luncheon. It was amazing. I got to sit next to Anne, who has, uh, they own uh, Barrels Tap House mm. uh, right there at k She was telling me, and I'm like, how's business? She goes, it's great. We have 32 holiday parties between now and the end of the year. What?
2: 32? Two. They're hosting 32? Yes. Holy to
3: 32 parties that are going on. And they've got this big New Year's Eve bash that they're doing. They're, they've got a seafood boil. They've got uh, all the rest of, like, the chicken Jeez. and steak and all that kind of stuff. So they have a wall of beer, right? Oh, I'm a wall of beer That's just makes Mike happy, bod. right? Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. All these tabs that are there. So for a hundred bucks, you get all this food and it's all the beer that you can drink, uh, throughout the evening. So I'm thinking K and N is not far from my house. I could walk home from that. So it's kind of like, you what, know, are you going to
2: crash 32 of them or just, no, no, 15? no, just a new year's Eve. That's just their oh. new
3: year's Eve deal. They're, oh, oh, okay. oh yeah. their 32 holiday parties will be done by then. At least I hope so. Um, So they've got their big New Year's Eve bash that's going on. Um, I got to see uh, my friend Kyle Dent from Shamrock's uh, Pub and Grill right there in Mexico in St. Peter's. Everybody from St. Peter's was at the Cottleville Weldon Spring Chamber today. That was kind of fun. Uh, Kyle and Kelly just do an amazing job. So these guys, and and this is why I love this chamber so much, because it's got all kinds of folks in it. They, They honored Marcy's Project, which is a fantastic organization. Um, but people like, like Kyle and Kelly and Ann and some others, they all give back to the community so much. Like, I, I talked to Kyle. He called me a, a little while ago and got a chance to catch up with him. He's going to Lindenwood because Shamrocks pours beer at the Lindenwood basketball games. And I'm like, awesome. Makes me want to go to Lindenwood basketball games now, right? So uh, it, it's when you get the opportunity to hang out with a bunch of really good people, it just makes your day. And uh, today was one of those days. It's My first meeting this morning was at 8. So I had 8, 9, uh, 10, and then the holiday luncheon and then here. And I've been driving the wheels uh, off my car. I guess. Today. But, you know, it's it's good. So I've enjoyed that. I hope you have had a wonderful Tuesday. Like Sue said, it's been great. The sun's been shining. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what Dave's forecast is, but I'm I'm sure we'll hear it. Here in just a little bit. We have got a whole lot that is going on on our show today. Uh, We're going to talk to Jay Green. He is a Heritage Foundation scholar. We're going to talk a little bit about this college campus president. So, um, like she said, one down, two to go. So, we've already lost one college president who resigned. Uh, Harvard is still there. I think MIT is still there.
2: I haven't heard otherwise.
3: Yeah. So, uh, Harvard has said that uh, President Gay is going to stay. Uh, so there's a lot of talk about that where they're like, if she was a white man and made the comments that she did instead of a black woman, She'd be gone. would she still have a job? And, and that's that's the prevailing wisdom. Most people are thinking, no, it's because she's a black woman and Harvard does not want to fire the first black female president they've ever had because yep. they're still celebrating the fact that they have a black female president, you know, which good for them. I, I think it's more about the fact of, are you the best? To run my school. Right. And and let's not worry about checking off boxes and demographics. You know, I I don't care what you are, but if you're the best to run my school, run my business, run my country. I'm right there. That's with what you. I'm looking for, right? Yes. Can we get past checking boxes and let's get to qualified? Qualified is awfully nice. Adam schwadron's gonna join us later on this hour. He's running for Secretary of State. There are a lot of people who are talking about elections and Adam Adam is a great guy, but he really lives election law, which is weird to say. Uh, I was joking with him. I said, I bet you sleep with an election law book underneath your pillow. He goes, I don't, but I do have one in the car right now. I said, of course you do. Uh, Sue's News is coming up next hour. We're going to talk with Mark Gelman of the Gelman team. Uh, CPI numbers came out today, and they were talking about the fact of housing. What's going on with housing? And we're really in a crunch. I mean, there are people who would like to move. There are people who would like to have houses, but we're getting up to 8 9% interest rates. And at that point, a lot of people are priced out of what they can afford. And there's a lot of people who have a home that they would like to get a different one, but they've got a 3% interest rate. They're like, I don't want to give that up. So your home is worth a lot because there's demand out there and there is no inventory.
2: Low inventory, high interest rates, and that pretty much sums it up.
3: So normally when you have high interest rate, it kills demand, right? But Because there is so little inventory out there, the demand is still there to buy your house. So it's a it's a conundrum. So I appreciate the Gelman team coming on and and talking with Mark Carter is going to join us later on as well. He and Sam Page are in a battle. Have you heard that story before? Mark Carter and Sam Page, not on the (laughs) same page. What are the odds? So um, on Friday, um, we had... uh, Dennison, who's a Councilman 3 for St. Louis County, and he was talking about the fact that there's a $14 million offset that they're still fighting about of what's going on. So uh, Mark Harder wrote a letter to Sam Page today and, and posted that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We got Brad Young coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. B.J. Tanksley, who is the broadband director for the state of Missouri, they have put together their plan, and they have pushed out Phase 1 and Phase 2 of that plan And they are out for public comment. So they want people to go on to the uh, Missouri Economic Development Broadband page, and they want you to look at the plan and give us your comments because they are trying to put together a plan that takes the $1.7 billion they have from the federal government as part of the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act. And they are trying to get everybody in Missouri connected to high-speed broadband might be fiber, may not be fiber, might be something else, depends on where it's at, but reliable, high-speed, affordable internet. That's a high bar. So I'm not quite sure where all that's going to end up. But So that's a lot that we have working on today. And then uh, Dr. Hussein Mirandi is going to uh, wrap us up today. So Mark did the interview with him. So we will have that coming up. Man, that's a lot considering it was about I don't know, 8 o'clock last night when I found out we were doing the show. So uh, thanks to Abby and to Fred Botterman. What a rock star. Fred knows everybody, man. Yes, he does. So we had, like, nobody scheduled when uh, when Fred texted me this morning. And then all of a sudden we, we've got a, a full day. Yeah. So that's awesome. Hey, congratulations to all the folks who uh, attend uh Catholic grade schools in St. Louis, there was a big worry that Catholic grade schools, a lot of them were going to get shut down. But it, it turns out that none of the 30 under-enrolled Catholic grade school in the Archdiocese of St. Louis has been slated for closure by their parish in the 24-25 school year. The Post-Dispatch just put that up on their website of breaking news. A lot of people thought that these a number of grade schools were going to get closed. So that is big news. Uh, people weren't quite sure where that was going to end up and and how we were going to end up um, in terms of those schools. So many of the Catholic schools have closed over the years. And it's, it's funny, Duchenne High School in St. Charles has a huge enrollment from North St. Louis County because so many of the Catholic high schools in St. Louis closed and they wanted to go to a Catholic high school. So they cross the river every day and drive west as opposed to east, and they come to high school out in Duchenne. So uh, there's a demand there, back to interest rates, right? So there's a demand there uh, for people to get a good quality education. And it, it, congratulations if your kid goes to one of those Uh, under-enrolled Catholic grade schools, you're still going to have that for one more year. We'll see where it comes from there. So on the other side, we're going to talk to Jay Green, uh, the Heritage Foundation scholar. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with these presidents of these Ivy League universities. They sit in their Ivy League towers and uh, regurgitate the statements that their attorneys gave them. Uh, as they talk in front of Congress, it's funny, President Gage just kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. She repeated the same answer 17 times. Ugh. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm sure it was all off the cuff, right? That's uh-huh. exactly how it is. Hey, my name is Mike Elam, sitting in for Mark Reardon. Mark will be back tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, I'm here today, Sue, Abby, hanging out with me as well. It's the Mark Reardon Show. This is St. Louis's home for Conservative Talk 97.1 FM Talk.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo had uh, the moral fortitude and integrity, she would just resign. They have given her space now that she should just resign. If she'd been a white male or a white female, she would be gone by now. Again, Harvard doesn't get to redefine what is plagiarism. We all know what plagiarism is. She violated that, and, uh, and she needs to be held accountable.
3: That is Carol Swain. She was talking about the Harvard president and saying that she's still there, but she shouldn't be. Hey, Jay Green is a Heritage Foundation scholar. He is joining us this morning, this morning, this afternoon. It's been that kind of day. Jay, how are you, man? Thanks for joining us today. Good.
2: How are you doing?
3: I'm good, man. So you're in Fayetteville.
2: I am. Yep. I, I love that. By.
3: So I yep. will be... I will be down there a week from Friday to pick up my dad for Christmas. He's coming back up here, and and we're going to spend Christmas together. So, so woo pig to you uh, to get the day started. And it it seems like uh, woo boo uh, to all of these Ivy League schools who seem to think that their presidents can say whatever, and they're not going to make them pay a price for it.
2: Right. And it's not just what they're saying. It's what they're doing. And And what they're doing is they're failing to enforce their codes of conduct in consistent ways, uh, and essentially they're leaving their Jewish students vulnerable to some pretty horrific abuse, both physical and verbal, on their campuses. And when pressed about this um, at a Congressional hearing, they were unable to give a kind of clear-eyed answer uh, that would kind of represent what a decent moral person would say, uh, but instead they sounded like very carefully crafted uh, lawyers. Um, And uh, I think that it's waking up America to the fact that our selective institutions are being run by people who lack a decent moral compass. Uh, and who have values that are very much at odds with those we wish to have promoted among our children and our future leaders.
3: It seems that all we care about anymore is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's the the barometer that we're using to measure everything against. Well, what what it
2: is 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 uh, an assertion that there are different sets of rules for different categories of people. Uh, that there are oppressors and oppressed. If you're an oppressor, you get you get a harsh set of rules, and if you're among the oppressed, then you get uh, a uh, a different set of rules that uh, that essentially offer you compensation for collective or historic wrongs that you're believed to have experienced. Um, and Claudine Gay at Harvard is um, has has been promoting this worldview. She has lived by this worldview and, and clearly was selected as the leader of that university because of this worldview. And I, I should just quickly add that I actually went to grad school with Claudia Yige. so I, I know her from, from way back when. Um, and I, and while I say, I know her, I can't remember anything she ever said in grad school. And the reason <laughs> for that is that she was a remarkably unimpressive person where I never would have remembered anything that that she would have said. So, um, you know, it's kind of shocking that she is the president of Harvard. This, by the way, despite an unbelievably unaccomplished scholarly record, she has a total of 11 journal articles and no books, Um, you know, to help put this in perspective. uh, That's the kind of productivity that a very accomplished scholar might produce in a year. Uh, But she has – that's what she's produced in her career. Um, And yet somehow she rose up to the top. And some of that is is this DEI worldview. Some of it is that she used this DEI in kind of ruthless bureaucratic backstabbing. Because some of what DEI does is that it allows ambitious bureaucrats, to identify their enemies and eliminate them for alleged uh, violations against DEI orthodoxy. Um, So Claudine Gay went after two very accomplished black scholars at Harvard, uh, Roland Fryer and Ronald Sullivan. Um, I think she went after them precisely because they would have been in a position to say that she was a mediocrity, because they're much more accomplished than she is. So, so, you know, DEI also is a, it can be a very vicious tool used by ambitious bureaucrats. So, so there are a variety of problems here that I I think um, people are suddenly waking up to in our leading universities, um, even though actually, I think they've been there a long time, but it's becoming painfully obvious to everyone.
3: Well, I, I think a lot of what you just touched on is really starting to come to light and people are starting to realize Who is the president of Harvard University? I think they were celebrating the fact that they had uh, put in the first black female to be president. And they were taking a victory lap of a box that she checks, not necessarily on the woman that she is or, or what got her there to your point of her past credentials, and now that people know who she is, they're going back and they're digging in and they're finding out that it sounds like she may have plagiarized her Ph.D. thesis in 1997. She plagiarized uh, important portions of it in addition to
2: three other articles. And keep in mind, she only has 11 articles. (laughs) So So almost 30% of what she's written isn't really necessarily hers. Well, she look, it's not one hundred percent of the text that's plagiarized, but sure. she she does plagiarize whole sentences and sometimes whole paragraphs. Some of those plag- plagiarisms are uh, citations without quotations, but some of them are simply lifting the language without any attribution at all. And look, any way you slice it, these are clear violations of Harvard's own research standards. Uh, it's These are clear examples of plagiarism, and the fact that Harvard University is unwilling to enforce its own rules on its own president is, is just another example of how they won't enforce rules uh, against favored groups, um, but will enforce rules against
3: disfavored groups. And it's it's not just about Harvard. I don't want to make it to be that. So we're talking with Jay Green, who's a Heritage Foundation scholar, and thanks for your time today. But... Uh, In looking just at at the total overall of our higher level institutions that to this point, we have all kind of put on a pedestal and says, you know, that's the bar. And when you have a Harvard, you have an MIT, you have a Penn, you expect more from them because of who they are and because of their long history and being some of the first institutions of higher living, higher learning in our country. And you've seen the president of Penn step down. But the president of MIT is still there. Do you think anything is going to happen there? Um, I
2: think it's going to be a little harder to get her because MIT has been less egregious in its double standard on on speech on campus. Um, Harvard and and Penn were particularly uh, ruthless in cracking down on conservatives. Uh, but then incredibly permissive on its, its pro-Hamas demonstrations. MIT has been very permissive on the pro-Hamas, but was less ruthless in cracking down on conservatives. And so she might survive because of that, um, although it's unclear. I, and, but I think one other important point here is it is not uh, a problem solely among our most selective universities. This is a problem that is creeping into higher education all around the country, Even in Missouri, you know, this is no place is safe from this rot. Uh, It's particularly severe in these Ivy League institutions, but it is something that is infecting higher education all across the country. And so we're kind of waking up to the equivalent of the Zoom moment. Remember, you know, during the pandemic, parents suddenly discovered that schools weren't what they thought they were, that they were lower in quality and more radical in content than they had realized. They're now realizing the same things about their universities. Um, and that's not just true of far away universities, but also to some degree true of universities closer to home.
3: Well, and I think for some of these liberal folks, They're finding themselves in unique paradoxes lately because they're finding their worlds are colliding and they don't know which part of the subset that they want to stick with. I mean, you've seen it with the squad and them trying to figure out, you know, what do I do in this transgender moment that's going on, right? So I want to support women, but I also want to support transgender. So I'm going to go with the transgender because that's the more fragmented. And I think I can get more points off that. And you've seen to, at at the beginning, people didn't care that conservatives were being run off of campuses. But when you're starting to look at the fact of, look, this is, generally speaking, the, the Jewish people, in the United States have voted Democrat. That's a huge Democrat voting block. So now you're seeing, okay, well, what am I going to do here? Because I also want to make sure that I'm not um, marginalizing Muslim students. And I want to make it all inclusive for everybody. Well, you can't. When you have two groups that are going to be going at each other like this, I don't think the left knows which way to turn right now. And they're caught
2: well i I don't think that they they have principles that they're that are capable of being applied consistently i mean that's part of the problem with their worldview is that they believe that there should be different sets of rules for different categories of people, and once you admit that it's just a matter of which category do you put people in? Um, so they put Jews in the oppressor category and decided that it's okay to stick it to them. And then when it comes to, you know, Israeli women being raped, then they say, well, you know, is it the women part that we're thinking of or the Jew part we're thinking of, right? I and so, yeah, it's, it's a crazy worldview that leads to these crazy inconsistencies. You're entirely right. You're also right that I think... Um, that the progressives who are pushing this, this worldview of oppressor oppressed, um, they drove conservatives off campus in the 90s. But they're driving liberals off campus now. So a lot of the Jews on campus are traditional liberals. So, sure, they disagree with conservatives on like, tax rates or things like that. But they don't go in for this kind of warmed-over warmed Marxism, right? That's not their thing. Right. And they're, they they're being pushed off campus too, um, so you know the only thing we have left on campus um, is is a pretty extreme uh, warmed over version of Marxism. I
3: I think it's interesting that you're seeing them try to deal with this, and they don't quite know which way to go. So. Looking at this problem, and I know you and Mike Gonzalez have, have both looked through this, this moral rot that that you guys refer to, and I, I think that's a great term, and I think that's exactly the way it should be categorized. Um, this moral rot that has taken over our educational institutions, where do you see it turning? Or do you see it turning? I mean, it feels to me like people are saying, to your point of, of the Zoom call, wow, I didn't realize it was this bad. We need to do something about this.
2: Well, and I think people can do something. I mean, I, I'm in the end optimistic here because um, these institutions rely heavily on subsidy to operate. They are being subsidized both by private donation and by taxpayer subsidy. And I think uh, both of those spigots of, of subsidy uh, can and should be closed um and once you begin to starve these institutions of money they will begin to drive the nonsense out you you can only have this level of craziness if you're doing it with other people's money
0: <laughs> um,
2: and and once you start running out of other people's money um you're going to have to get things in order and so i i think that americans are going to start saying i don't want to donate to these places anymore Uh, And I don't want to pay taxes to go subsidize this kind of nonsense. If they want to go around and hate Jews or hate conservatives or hate Christians, let them do it with their own money. Uh, But they don't have any. They're doing it all with your money. That's the old joke
3: of socialism, right? Socialism's great until you run out of other people's money.
2: That's right. And (laughs) and. And they'll run out of it quickly at the rate they're spending it. Uh, they'll run out of it quickly if, if we just start turning off the spigot. And I think we can and will. I think that's what's going to happen. You're going to see conversations in state legislatures. You're going to see conversations in Congress. We've already seen big donors say they're not going to give money anymore. Um, and these universities are so accustomed to giant amounts of money coming their way. They'll have no idea what to do when the money starts drying up.
3: I, I think they've already started seeing that when you had Penn's big hundred million dollar donor say she goes or or my hundred million dollars goes. And I think that fits exactly to your point. Jay Green, Heritage Foundation Scholar. Thanks for joining us today. If people want to follow you, how can they learn more?
2: Sure. Just go to Heritage.org. Look up my name. It's J J A Y green, like the color with an E on the end. And you can see all the stuff I've written there, and happy to hear from you guys.
3: Jay, we appreciate you taking some time on this Tuesday. Have a wonderful day, and hope the holidays are good to you. You too. Thanks a lot. There's a lot of stuff that's starting to come down the pike where people are, uh, you know, donors have said, you know, I I didn't realize, and I'm fed up, and I'm going to put my money back in my pocket. Good. So I think to Jay's point, the more that that happens, the more you're going to see it. And I think a a lot of these states are starting to start looking at, hey, what are we actually funding with our tax dollars? And let's start putting some restrictions on that. And if you're going to shut down um, safety for kids and you're not going to take care of the kids' safety first and foremost, we're going to talk to you about the amount of money that we're giving you. We're going to talk about elections on the other side. There are a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot, there are a group of people who want to get rid of electronic voting and they want you to do a paper ballot and they want the paper ballot counted by hand. Missouri is going to do paper ballots. That's in the constitution now. Uh, But, Uh, Well, I don't know if it's in the Constitution. It's passed that we have, uh, we're we're confirmed Missouri is going to do a paper ballot. But this whole counting by hand thing, that's a discussion that is starting to grab some traction with some folks. We're going to talk with Adam Schwadron on the other side. Adam is running for Secretary of State. He is a state rep out of St. Charles County right now. So we will talk to him on the other side of the break. Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today. 97.1 97.1 FM Talk. A hey, big shout out to my friend, Judge Deborah Lessie, who is uh, tuning in today and listen to us. Um, good rotary friend. So uh, thanks, Deborah, for tuning in today. Hey, where are you on elections? Do you want your ballots hand counted or are you OK with them being tabulated as long as it's on a paper ballot? And let's just agree it's going to be a paper ballot. There's a lot of election talk that has been going on for the past few years. I, I don't know why. I don't know who started that. Uh, it's, uh, somewhere it became an issue. Uh, I don't know what that was. Adam Schwadron is the state representative, and he is running for secretary of state, and is joining us on the radio right now. Adam, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Fantastic. It's always good to talk to you, man. Thanks very much for making the time. Um, so always. I I know y- you. You know way too much about election law, uh, but not if you're going to be secretary of state Would Would that statement be true. Right. So uh, you you know what you need to know to be a good secretary of state, because I know you know this. And I know you've been involved in a lot of conversations about election integrity. So where do you come down on this whole should we tabulate votes electronically or should we count them by hand?
1: I think we need to still tabulate them electronically. If we want to know who the winner of an election is on election night, then we need to depend on those machines. All they're doing is counting the bubbles and letting us know what those votes are. Hand counting. uh, You will not get the results of your races for days upon days after Election Day.
3: So we were were having those machines. So we were having a discussion the other day at uh, St. Charles County Council because we're at the end of budget and Kurt Barr, who's the election director in St. Charles, came in, and we were having that conversation, and somebody was talking about the fact of, you know, it feels like elections are taking longer to get counted. And Kurt said, well, in in the last election, we had it completely counted by 9 p.m. So two hours after the polls closed, uh, we were done. So I, I think we've come to expect I mean, we are an on-demand world after all, but I think we've come to expect that our ballots are going to be tabulated really quick. If you're going to do, let's say, a presidential election, which we are next year, mm-hmm. do you, have, do you have any kind of idea of what it would take to hand count the state of Missouri's votes to get that done and to get an accurate count? It would take a
1: massive movement of people, manpower, and money to pay for those people to sit there and go one by one each ballot. And that doesn't even factor every other race that is on the ballot that election. Uh, In presidential election years, you are going to have over 20 races and uh, questions on the initiative petitions, especially on constitutional amendments. You're going to have questions like that. So you're looking at over 20 races, and every time you need to hand count, you have to start with each race, and you go through every ballot president, all right? And now you go to the Senate, and then you go to governor, and then lieutenant governor, and attorney general, and so on and so forth, all the way down the line until you're answering those uh, constitutional amendment questions. So So it will take
3: so much time. I understand the reasoning behind, and I understand, uh, you know, the folks who are calling for this. What they're really saying, I believe, is I want to have faith that my vote is being counted accurately. And and I Mm -hmm. hear them, and I understand after the 2020 election, a lot of people have lost faith in the election process. And you're a guy who is, you know— definitely into this in a big way. And I'm just curious as you look at this issue, um, how do you think we restore faith and integrity in the voting process again? The best way we can do that is we have the count on election night through the machine,
1: and then there's the audit process. And one thing that most people may not realize is that after the election, there are teams of people that will actually go through the ballots and hand count a certain percentage, right now that minimum percentage is 5% of all the ballots cast in a county, and they will cross-reference that. Uh, This actually happened in one of my precincts in 2022 where one of them was randomly selected and they did a hand count of all the ballots cast on my race and it came up exactly even with the machine count. So there are procedures for afterwards before the vote is certified, where we are hand counting votes and ensuring that there is that accuracy. And it has to be within 0.5% accuracy. Wow.
3: So you're getting into a secretary of state's office uh, or race mm-hmm. when you've got more focus on the secretary of state's office than we've had in a very long time. What makes you want to throw your hat in the ring for this particular office?
1: I have always been interested in the elections process, and I want to make sure that at the end of election day that people do have faith and trust in the accuracy of our elections. And I feel that the plan that I have to even further verify the post-election audit by bumping up that percentage to a higher percentage and also doing a full hand count of a countywide race, that way people can have confidence in it. And I want to make sure that we are restoring that trust and faith in our elections process for all the citizens of Missouri.
3: We're getting into a point. I know I've talked to uh, Kurt Barr about this a a number of times. It's hard to find election judges. Just getting election judges to watch our our elections, to work the polls, is really hard. And that's one day. Uh, How hard do you think it would be to find the people to be able to can count those particular ballots?
1: You're talking days upon days, meaning you can't go to people that are currently working. You would have to depend on either students that could take time away, uh, younger folks that may not have a job, or retirees. And their vision may not be the best. And then that doesn't even factor in the issues of is this ballot truly marked for this person or not? Because the machine can read small small. Uh, measurements that are drawings that the person puts in there, they may not fill the oval in completely. Uh, that is all covered currently under the Code of State Regulations. So I, I don't even want to imagine how long it would take.
3: <laughs> we're, we're talking with Adam Schwadrin. So what's the plan? I've got about a minute. Uh, what's the plan to cover the state of Missouri in nine months? Uh, I'm going all day, every day. That's one of my uh, the
1: mantras. I'm driving northeast, southeast, southwest, west, north, west, covering the state, getting out there, meeting the people, uh, doing it old school style. Uh, I put all my on all my literature, my cell phone number. So if people need to get a hold of me, they've got that avenue to get a hold of me.
3: Well, Adam, I appreciate you making some time on short notice today. I wish you the best uh, in covering the state and good luck in the election. We'll be following up as you go along.
1: Greatly appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Deborah Alessi's listening. She's actually one of my constituents.
3: There, there you go. That is Adam Schwadrin, state representative running for secretary of state. Sue's News is coming up on the other side on the Mark Reardon Show. Mike Elam sitting in for Mark today on 97.1 FM Talk.
0: Get more at 971 talkcom